The following is a presentation of the Connection Church, a place where people are being set free. If you'd like to know more information about our community, you can join us online at connectionchurchnc.com. Pastor Scott and I, uh, as he shared last week, we, we took a little trip over to Israel a couple weeks ago. And so uh, it was mind-blowing. All right, if you ever get an opportunity to go, you need to do it. Uh, it's it's life changing, um, man. Just got to see and experience some some crazy things. And so, what I want to share with you this morning is basically the worst part of my trip. Okay, everybody's usually excited to share the best parts, and they make it look all good and clean and fun, all that kind of stuff. But uh, I want to do it different. I want to share with you the absolute worst part of my trip. Okay, so I'm uh, going to give you kind of the, the nitty-gritty. If you would, go ahead and throw that picture up on the screen. All right, this is the absolute worst part of my trip. <laughs> so, now, now, listen, hear me out, okay? Um, I know that to you, this looks like a fun beach scene, Right, and, and it's just beautiful, you know, the mountains in the background and the, the blue water and the, and the beach and the palm trees and all that kind of stuff. And, uh, and even though that is what is actually uh, going on, don't let this picture fool you, okay? This is a picture of the Dead Sea, okay? And the Dead Sea, um, I'm just going to shoot straight with you right now. The Dead Sea is horrible, okay? It is Horrible! It's absolutely terrible. Uh, one of the worst experiences of my life. Um, first of all, there are tons of old men in speedos. Okay, um, so I had a, uh, I had quite a few pictures of the Dead Sea. You know, people swimming in it, things like that, or whatever. Um, but I had to take a picture of the one that was the furthest back and put it on the screen because the ones that I took that were close up on the beach, like 70% of the people there are old men in Speedos. So uh, I figured I would save you the pain of, of seeing that, okay? Um, so that was the first thing, all right, that I immediately noticed as I walked down to uh, this beach. The, the second thing is uh, the Dead Sea is one of the most unusual places on earth, all right? It's, it's the lowest body of water. It's like, I don't know, 1,400 feet below sea level or something crazy like that. It's super low. Um, it's the it's not like normal salt water like like the ocean all right the ocean like the atlantic and the pacific stuff like that it's got i don't know somewhere in the 3% range of salt water content okay the dead sea on the other hand the salinity and the mineral content of the dead sea is somewhere like 34% okay so it's it's crazy high which means when you get into the water you float you can't drown it's not possible, all right? I mean, I guess maybe you tied a piece of lead around your ankle or something, maybe you could, but, uh, but literally, like, you cannot drown, okay? You walk out there, and you, you're supposed to sit down, because if you go face forward, I mean, you're just going to, and just sit there. Um, so you sit down like you sit in a chair, and then automatically your feet just come up. Can't stop it. You just float. It's crazy. It blows my mind. Um, so that was pretty cool, all right? So if you go to the Dead Sea, if you go to Israel, you have to do it. But, okay, um, on top of that, the, the, the floor, the ground that you have to walk on to get out to that, all right? So you notice that the color of the ground right there, it's not like normal sand, okay? It's not sand color. There's, it's this uh, muddy 
consistency. All right, so I did a little digging and I found out that the, the floor of the Dead Sea is actually covered with asphalt. And, and not like the type of asphalt like in the road, like that they did it themselves. It's a naturally occurring substance that just comes up and oozes from the ground. There's asphalt. It's like naturally waterproof. But what that does is when you have to walk out on this mud to get to the Dead Sea, it's this consistency of like Crisco oil um, mixed with uh, super glue and, and like, like, I don't know, like this just gross feeling, weird, and you're like walking, and it's like mud, and, and it's like all up to your legs and stuff, and then all of a sudden you step, and there's like an air pocket, and so you're walking, and, poof, and you go down, and then you're like stuck in the mud, just like this. And then you're like, Scott, please help me out. You know what I mean? And, and so they dig you out, and you got this, this gross mud all over you, and you get in the water, and, and then you get out of the water. If you've been to the ocean, you know that salt water feeling that kind of the salt stays on you. I'd imagine that times 34%, all right? It's awful. It's the worst experience of my life. And then throw old men in Speedos on top of it. Jesus. Um, ha, yes. Um, so... The Dead Sea is called the Dead Sea because there's no marine life that can live in it. It's literally dead. There's, there's nothing that, that can live in the Dead Sea, no marine life. There's no wildlife that surrounds the Dead Sea because if the animals hung around there too long, uh, eventually it would kill them. And when you walk to the Dead Sea, there's these signs that say, do not drink the water, don't get it in your eyes. If you happen to inhale the water and it gets into your lungs, it can kill you within 20 minutes. Have fun. <laughs> Enjoy your swim, you know? And I, I'm just like, I'm like, man, what, what is this? What is the, the attraction? People love to go swimming and, and potentially swallow some water and die in 20 minutes. I mean, that's really awesome. So, um, but literally the, the Dead Sea, that's why they call it the Dead Sea. Um, but what blows my mind about the Dead Sea is, is not only all of those things, but the resources that are in this sea. You see, that same mineral and salt content that can be toxic, that can kill you and kill fish and kill animals and all of those kind of things, it can be pulled out of the Dead Sea and it can be refined. And the Dead Sea has things like calcium, and zinc, and phosphorus, and bromine, and all of these other big words that I don't even know what they are or what they do, all right? There's, there's all these minerals that are found in the Dead Sea, and these minerals are constantly being replenished by the water and the ground. It's like this, this cycle, because the water has nowhere to go except evaporation, and so it's just this constant cycle of being replenished by these minerals, and these minerals, they're essential to our bodies. Did you know that? Right? Like, like try to operate without calcium in your body. It makes up the majority of your bone structure. If you did not have calcium, your bones would literally just crumble, Right, zinc, it, it gives you energy. It's it's what it's what gives you motivation and drive. And if you didn't have zinc flowing in your body, you would have no drive. You would just sleep all the time and be very weary and all these kind of things. If you didn't have these minerals that were literally on your skin and inside your body, your cells could not communicate with each other. They would not know to heal yourself. 
when you get cut or when you get hurt or when you get sick, these minerals are necessary to promote and sustain life, yet it's found in one of the most toxic places in the world. And that, that just it blows my mind that out of a place that can literally kill you if used improperly comes valuable substances that promote and sustain life. These minerals, they're not things that our body can create. They're things that we have to get from an outside source or else we will be deficient. Now, I know you're probably asking at this point, what in the world does this have anything to do with blessed life? Um, what does this have to do with, with generosity or, or any of these things? And, and, and honestly, friends, this morning, um, I want to lay a groundwork. All right, I, I'm not, we're not there to discuss generosity yet. I want to talk about a foundation that is essential in order to understand what biblical generosity is. All right, we have to create a path in order for us to get there before we can grasp this idea. And so what I want to do this morning is lay a proper foundation to understand what it means to be generous. How do we get there? There's a scripture in 1 Timothy uh, chapter 6, and, uh, and, and 1 Timothy is written by Paul, one of the apostles, all right, he was a guy who used to kill Christians, okay, and then he found Jesus and, uh, and started telling other people about him and basically wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. This guy was a stud, and, and, uh, and literally Jesus changed his life, and, and he wrote this letter to this guy by the name of Timothy, and Timothy was, was younger than him. He was a, a, a disciple of Paul, and, 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 and Paul led Timothy to Jesus. And so this letter is from an older guy that is, that is trying to breathe life and breathe encouragement into this, this younger man, Timothy. And I just love reading first and second Timothy just blows my mind every time I dig in there. And Paul's telling Timothy in this particular section that I want to share with you this morning, he's telling Timothy that, that he needs to be aware of people who will try and teach other things other than that which Jesus taught with his words and with his life. You see, Jesus taught with his mouth, and he also taught with his actions. And Paul is saying, Timothy, watch out. Okay, he, Timothy was the pastor of the church in Ephesus. Ephesus was wealthy. It was known uh, for a lot of different beliefs. And so he's basically encouraging him, don't get sidetracked by false doctrine. Don't get sidetracked by people that are going to teach things falsely, that teach things other than what Jesus said with his mouth and how Jesus lived with his life. That is healthy, sound doctrine. Paul tells Timothy that the way Jesus lived is in accordance with this word called godliness. Godliness. And and this basically means to have an appropriate belief about God and then to actually do that, to physically do something, to emulate the character of God. And guess, obviously, who was the best at emulating God? His son. He's saying Jesus' words and his actions are the epitome of what godliness is. So if anyone is doing anything contrary to that, don't give in. Don't do it. Paul was saying there are people out there that call themselves Christians, 
yet they live contrary to the way Jesus lived. So picking up halfway in verse 5, chapter 6, verse 5, Paul says that these false teachers, watch this just real quickly, they live imagining that godliness is a means of gain. Now hang on that for just a second. Kind of let that marinate. Did, did, you, did you catch that? Godliness. Imagining that godliness is a means of gain. So what Paul was telling Timothy is godliness is not a means of gain. Godliness is not a means of gain. Let me ask you a question. Is godliness wrong? Is it wrong to act godly? Is it wrong to believe rightly about God and to put those beliefs into practice? Paul is saying it depends on what your motive is. See, it's not enough just to have a right understanding. It's not enough just to have knowledge, and it's not enough just to do things. But why? What is your motivation behind your quote-unquote godliness? It's not just about right thinking and right action. Motives play a huge role. See, the word gain here is defined as a means to an end. A means to an end, especially in the financial world. A means to an end. And Paul is saying that if we have godly behavior with wrong motives, it's not actually godliness. You are imagining that you have godliness all for the sake of some gain. You're trying to get a means to an end. See, friends, if our intention for acting rightly, for living a moral lifestyle, for reading our Bible, for coming to church, for tithing on a regular basis, for doing all of these things that look like godliness, so on and so forth, if that is if our intention to do that is so that our life will go well and that we will be problem-free, if my mentality is I act right, therefore God is going to treat me well and I'm going to get blessings, then we're off base. Your motivation is wrong. Paul's saying, watch out for your motivation." Be careful. It's a, a slippery slope. It's, it's like that mud heading out to the Dead Sea that's, that's literally lifeless, and you're trudging through it thinking that it's godliness, and all of a sudden, poof, you sink deeper and deeper. Before you know it, you can't breathe. But that's godliness. But I'm trying to act like God. I'm trying to be godly. Paul's warning us that our intention, our motives, we have to be constantly aware of why are we doing what we're doing, especially here in America. See, friends, we live in a society 
where excess and comfort, we're taught to seek that and to strive to get it. If you get more, he who dies with the most toys, right, has the most toys, right? We're taught to seek excess. We're taught to strive for comfort, to pursue an easy road. And unfortunately, we've connected this idea of excess and comfort and molded it, melted it in with godliness. And that's where you get this idea called prosperity gospel. If you do this, then God will do this. You know what that becomes? You are the puppet master, and God is the puppet on the string. You are the one with the magic lamp, and God is the genie. If I do godliness right, then the genie comes out and says, what do you want, master? That is what Paul is warning us against. We've connected godliness to excess and to comfort And much like this verse, it says people presuppose that right behavior will lead to excess. If I act right, if I tithe enough, then God will bless me and I'll make more money. I'll get a better job. I'll be able to get out of this hole. If I pray and read my Bible, then my kids will grow up to be great Christians and they'll never obey me. Parents, you do not have control over your kids. They have a mind of their own that God gave them. We can do our best to live godly. But if we try to parent out of the fear that they will stray, (laughs) you ever heard the term beat someone with a Bible? We have to be aware of our motives. Why are we trying to please God? (laughs) You see, as we seek these excesses, as we seek these peripheral things that are not really tied to God, but they're just kind of out there, that's where we think we'll find comfort. That's where we think we'll find stability. If I can get a little more money, if I can just get out of this hole that I'm in, if I can get a better job, if I can get a better marriage, if I can get a better this, if I can get a better that, maybe if I go to church like more often and I read my Bible more often, then I'll get more money. Then I'll get more this. Then I'll get more of that. And we're seeking an excess in order to get comfort and stability. It literally becomes our hope for our future. We're not living in the right here and the right now. We're living for a false tomorrow by what we are doing in the form of godliness today. If I could just have a better job, it might get me in a better position. And then get this, we buy into this as well. If I get a better job, make more money, then I can give more to the church. I can be more generous. Guess what, friends? God wants you to be generous now. I'm pretty sure I remember a scripture somewhere in the Bible that says, if you can't be faithful in the little things, then God can't trust you with more. Don't go after the excesses. If I act more godly, then God will 
give me more. See, what happens is we begin to imagine that's what we're put on this earth to do. I be godly. God blesses me. People see that. People get saved. How do you, if that's the system, how do you explain the most godly person that I know whose little girl is terminal with cancer? How do you describe that? How do you describe this guy that I've been following on Instagram that I know is a deep follower of Jesus getting hit by a car, having intracranial pressure, don't know if he's going to live? How do you describe that if we live by, I act godly, God blesses me, other people see it, they see all the blessings, and then they come to Jesus so they can get in on the party, right? See, friends, it's not in the excesses. It's not in in the comfort. That's where we veer, of course. (laughs) See, we, we have a tendency to seek these excesses and these comforts, get this, instead of the one who provides the excess. The one who provides the comfort. The one who provides everything that you need, <laughs> not what you want, but what you, mean, what you need. You see, it's much like the Dead Sea. The Dead Sea contains all these valuable minerals and all these valuable resources that are great for us. They make us healthy. We can't live without them. These minerals that are pulled out of the Dead Sea, they promote, they sustain life, but they kill us if it's used improperly. That's godliness when it's taken out of context. You see, to act in a religious manner with the wrong motive, it'll never give you what you desire. It will never give you what you think you are going to get out of it. Because get this, godliness minus the power of God equals nothing. Sure, you might get a few praise from people. People might look at you and go, man, that guy's giving a lot of money. Man, that guy's serving. Man, that girl's doing this. Man, that girl's doing that. Good job. But guess what? Those praises are empty. Where do they get you? Nowhere. So what's the answer? <laughs> what's the, the foundation in order for us to understand generosity? I love this because Paul doesn't just stop there. In verse 6, look at this. He says, But godliness with contentment is great gain. See, this is where Paul brings correct motives to the table. Being content is the cornerstone of living a generous, blessed life. Contentment is defined as adequacy. It's basically being completely satisfied with where your life situation is. You work at McDonald's? Are you passionate in love with Jesus? Then it's okay to work with McDonald's. You don't have a job right now? But you're passionate and your desire is to see more of God? 
it's okay. He promises he will provide what you need. You see, contentment is the byproduct of humility. Contentment is the byproduct of us being humble enough to say, I am okay with the lot that God has given me. I'm okay with it. If God chooses to give me more, praise God. If he chooses to give me less, praise God. If I get hit by a car tomorrow and I'm stuck in the hospital, don't know if I'm going to live or die, praise God. Paul says, for me to live is Christ, for me to die is gain. Contentment is where it's at. Contentment is a product of humility. See, contentment is satisfaction that does not demand a change in your external circumstances, but rather thanks God for where he has allowed you to be. Man, one of the the stories that has just wrecked me over and over, every time I read this story, it blows my mind. It's a story of Job. This guy was filthy rich. Houses, cars, just kidding, it was back in that day. He had everything. He had cattle. He had the brand new Air Jerusalems. He had everything. He had a huge family. He had food, he had wealth, he had money beyond belief. Satan comes to God and says, you know why Job is faithful to you, right? It's because you keep blessing him. You keep giving him all this stuff, God. You take that stuff away, we'll see what Job's really made of. God says, all right, do it. And at the end of Job chapter 1, if you read this story, One by one, these servants start coming to him and say, Hey, Job, I'm sorry, but your house is all burned down. Job, I'm sorry, but somebody came and took all your livestock. They killed all your servants, Job. You're broke. You got nothing. Last servant comes and and straggles in and says, Job, some raiders came in and they killed all your family. I'm the only one that survived. I, I I, I made it back just to tell you your whole family's dead. I don't, I don't know about you, but I've never been there. <laughs> and what does Job do? He says he tears his clothes. He sits in ashes. And he worshiped God. He said, naked I came from this world. And naked I will depart. It's God who gives And it's God who's chosen to take away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Man, that's contentment. Why are we godly? Why do we try to serve God? 
See, godliness with contentment is much like the Dead Sea. Because in order for us to truly embrace contentment, we have to die. Our desires, our hopes, our dreams, all of us has to literally be, as Galatians 2.20 tells us, crucified with Christ so that I can no longer live, but it's Jesus who lives in me. See, friends, Jesus is not a means for us to achieve our hopes and our dreams. Now, as a follower of Jesus, He becomes the fulfillment of our hopes and our dreams. I promise you, whatever it is that you are seeking this morning, if it's not more of Him, it will leave you empty. It will leave you lost and broken. And by the end of it, if you choose to try the godly route to get what you think you need, you'll be cursing God because you didn't get it. Godliness with contentment is of great gain. That's why it says that godliness is actually perfection. Perfection. Any of us? Anybody perfect? Has anybody been perfect up until right now in their entire life? No. But that's the type of godliness that God requires in order for us to get in a community with Him. That's why He sent Jesus. I wish I would have brought this map, but you can see literally, if you look at the geographic location of Israel, like how it's sitting from the north to the south, the north, the top, the most, the furthest part north is Mount Hermon, where people say that Jesus went through the transfiguration, like where he's hanging out with God on a mountaintop. How cool is that? And as he travels down, he goes to the Dead Sea. He goes to Jerusalem, which is right beside the Dead Sea. Guess where he died? At Jerusalem. Every single thing that Jesus did was a move downward. It was a move from divinity to embrace humanity, to be our perfection that resulted in his death so that we could have life. Not so that we could live pursuing some selfish junk that in the end is going to leave us unfulfilled anyway. You want to experience real life this morning? Get your eyes off of whatever it is that you have it on and focus it solely on Jesus. If you don't know how to do that, ask Him. I promise you that if you get on your knees and you say, God, I just want more of you. I just need you. He will satisfy you completely. Guess what? I'm a dad. I got a couple kids. My kids never go hungry, ever. If I had no money, 
guess what? I'm going to get an extra job. I'm going to do whatever I got to do to make sure that my kids will not go hungry. How much more will the creator of the universe who calls us his children provide for us? His children never go hungry. I promise you that. Take your eyes off of whatever it is that you're looking at. Jesus. If you would, just bow your heads, close your eyes for a moment. In a moment, we're going to sing songs called It Is Well. It's a little bit different than, than what you're familiar with, but man, the words are still so strong. It is well. Whatever I'm going through right now, God, just like Job, it's well. The only way that we can say that is through the power of Jesus Christ being our motivation and being our strength. So whatever it is that you're going through this morning, I want to tell you, He is greater. He is stronger. He is sufficient. He will sustain you and empower you if you just let go. you've never done that this morning I want to invite you step into Jesus draw near to him this morning if you've never given Jesus your life this is your day you're here for this moment so I want to ask if you want to say yes to Jesus for the first time, would you please just stand up? This is your moment, your opportunity to step into a life-changing relationship with God, our Creator. standing right now, just pray this prayer in your heart and in your mind. God, I need you. And I want you to come in. I'm tired of living for myself. I'm sorry for all the things that I've done that are against you, Jesus. I want to follow you with everything that I have. God, sustain me and fulfill me. My life is yours. You can be seated if you prayed that this morning. Welcome to the kingdom of God.